Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're very glad that you're joining us wherever it is you, you've found us on our multiple online platforms. We're glad you are with us. A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast, <coughs> excuse me while I clear my throat, uh, which is dedicated and guided by your questions on the Bible. That's right, you can send your questions in on all those uh, online platforms, any question that you have, and we will use God's Word, the Bible, to find the answers to those questions. So whether it's uh, a specific verse or passage of Scripture or the Bible as a whole that you have a question about, or maybe something you're on a more personal level you're going through, you'd like a biblical perspective, uh, something that you've heard that you feel contradicts the, the Bible and truth, uh, maybe even other belief systems and faiths, uh, any, any question along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know that the Bible is a source for the answers for us on this show, A Reason for Hope. My name's Dave Robson. I will be your host, and like I mentioned, I'll be watching all those platforms as your question's coming in. With us today, we have Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. That's me. Where we're broadcasting <laughs> from, and we have Pastor Sean Richards as well, of course, both regular guys. And of course, Pastor Scott is the founder of this ministry over 20 years ago now, and um, thank you guys for being so faithful to be here and Oh, it's too much questions. fun. Where else would we be? Know, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. But yeah. It's great. You've had years of years of study that you've dedicated yourself to, and we can all benefit from that. So we are appreciative. So thank you. Thank you for being here. And uh, well, like I mentioned, Reason for Hope is an hour-long uh, live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here Mountain Standard Time in Tucson, Arizona, or whatever time that is for you around the world as you join us live. You can go to our website, which is calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our church website as well, so uh, feel free to have a little click around and see what's going on. We have an events page right there, as you'll see. <clears throat> we have lots of Bible studies and, and uh, all kinds of events, support groups and all those kind of things. So especially if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, you're looking for somewhere uh, to fellowship or looking for somewhere to get some um, uh, you know, support in a, in a Christian uh, arena, then uh, do check us out there. But uh, for the purposes of tonight, if you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream live to there. So our services that we have here at CCF, or indeed uh, Reason for Hope, as you're watching right now, the direct link to that is ccftucson.online.church. That's ccftucson.online.church. If you type that into the address bar, it will take you straight to that page. Or again, follow the link from our website. You'll find our video there. You can sign in with a username of your choice. And then that's one way that you can send your questions in right in that chat box. I will be watching there, right there with you as your questions come on in. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show and you will see a schedule of upcoming events as well. So take a look, see if anything that interests you coming up and uh, you're welcome to join us there, of course, anytime. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson or just search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you'll find us there. We are live as we speak and uh, you can send the question in on the chat function there. Don't forget to like and share us around. We'd love it if you would do that. It helps us to spread the word, and we would love to reach as many people as we could. So there we are on Facebook, if you would like to use that platform. We have an app as well for your mobile device, whether it's an iPhone or Android. Go to your app store, look for, once again, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo, because there is a few Calvary Christian Fellowships around the world. Um, so you'll find us right there. Download the app, and you can watch us right there on your phone. We have a, oh, which way did I go? Too far forward. We have a, a, a channel as well on Roku and Apple TV. So if you have those devices or a, a smart TV with um, those capabilities, look for Calvary Christian Fellowship, and you can watch us on your big screen as well through Roku or Apple TV. 
We're on YouTube. That's a great place to go for archives as well. We're live right there as we speak. Uh, but if you go to that live tab, you'll find anytime we've been live, it archives there automatically. So if you missed the show or you'd like to check out the services we um, have here at CCF, uh, they all will be found right there. Don't forget to, again, subscribe and like and uh, click on that notification bell. That will um, give you a little notification when we go live so you won't have to miss anything. So A Reason for Hope is the name of the channel on YouTube. So look for that, A Reason for Hope on YouTube and you will find us there once again live right there. Send your questions in in the uh, the comment um, section and I will be receiving those too. Our Pastor Scott here who I just introduced is on Twitter. His handle is Scott R4H. That's Scott letter R number four letter H on Twitter where he posts all kinds of stuff. I don't Twitter anymore but Scott does. He's brave enough to go in there head first and heart first and take on all the Twitterverse and so if you're on there <laughs> follow along with him I know they have some very exciting discussions and all kinds of things and he posts commentary on like world events as well and often gives us a, a prophecy update but he posts things of that nature there and some funnies and shenanigans and all that kind of stuff too so Scott Arthur H on Twitter if you'd like to follow along with him we're on Rumble look for a reason for hope Bible Q&A on Rumble we post videos there as well I don't use that that, that uh, platform personally but if you do uh, you can find us there if you look, if you look hard enough. Uh, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. That's questions for hope spelled out, all letters, not numbers. Questionsforhope at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the radio, you'll want to use that email address because you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. So that's the only place that we're not live, uh, so to speak, with you. But again, use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. And we get to those questions as well. Obviously, it'll be on our next show that we will get to that question. But whatever platform it is you found us, we're very glad that you're there. Again, send your questions in in the comments section and uh, I will be watching for all of those as they come on in. We'd love to receive your questions. As long as it's an honest question, it's not a dumb question. I'm sure there's other people that have the same question on their heart and we will delve, as I like to say, into the Word of God to answer those questions today. So with all that being said, Whew, let's pause and pray. We certainly want the Lord to bless and guide. So Absolutely. Pastor Scott, would you like to pray today? Absolutely. I let Sean yesterday, so it's only <laughs> fair I give you a shot oh, at it. You know, It's always a privilege. <laughs> Father, thank you that we can invite your presence here on this broadcast today. And Lord, uh, we know that uh, you alone, through the work of your Holy Spirit, honoring your word, uh, is are, are the one that leads us into all truth. Uh, we can speculate, we can get involved with endless philosophical discussions, uh, we can get into the events of the day and my opinion and your opinion and, and so on. Uh, but I thank you, Lord, that you've come to show us truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, and we long at the end of this broadcast to know more about you and uh, to connect with you personally. And we pray for those that are on the outside in, looking at a, a love relationship with you, they would come to understand that uh, they can know you personally and spiritually, even in this day, and that you desire to give them a brand new start, a brand new life, forgiveness for their sins, the hope of eternal life to come. I pray, Father, that there be many people today, as a result of this broadcast, who would give their lives over to you, and uh, that the kingdom of God would be uh, furthered by that work of your spirit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let it be so, indeed. Uh, well, Scott, sometimes you give us a little update on stuff going on. Is there anything you want to declare today? Or? Yeah, just a, a real brief one uh, in the wars and rumors of wars category, uh, watching uh, matters prophetic. Uh, there is, uh, you know, things seem to be settling down as far as Israel and the, uh, the uh, operation that took place in Janine. 
uh, taking out uh, the uh, terrorist base that had been built there. Uh, and now uh, the usual suspects are accusing Israel of being meanies because they came in and, <laughs> and uh, again, stopped, meanies. stopped uh, Palestinians from making uh, improvised explosive devices. Wow, that is uh, So uh, with this settling down, another hot spot in the world that uh, we definitely need to be paying attention to uh, because it could really get uh, pretty intense before we know it. Uh, our good friend Amir Sarfati uh, has, uh, on his uh, weekly update, uh, given us this heads up. Uh, the Ukraine is warning about possible Russian nuclear false flag operation. Uh, Russia is placing explosives around the Zaporizhia, and boy, try to say that five times fast, nuclear power plant, possibly in preparation for what is called a false flag attack, according to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, surveillance videos show what appear to be explosive devices on the third and fourth production units on Europe's second largest nuclear facility. Uh, Moscow, in turn, is accusing Kiev of preparing for the same trick. Zelensky, however, is adamant, saying the world sees, can't but see, the only source of danger to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is Russia and no one else. Well, uh, if uh, you've uh, ever been familiar uh, with events like Chernobyl and uh, the uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster took place uh, in response to a, uh, a tsunami that uh, knocked out this uh, nuclear reactor that was built, well, maybe too close to uh, the ocean uh, for its own good. Uh, the, the Fukushima disaster is, uh, is so overwhelming that the area around this particular uh, nuclear plant in Japan uh, they are still trying to clean it up, uh, even though Fukushima took place in 2011. Uh, so wow. uh, a, a nuclear plant that goes ballistic uh, is nothing to sneeze at. Well, uh, again, if we have uh, these reports being accurate, that uh, both sides are pointing the finger at the other saying, oh, um, they're trying to create a nuclear explosion here uh, with this particular facility uh, to point fingers at the other people as being the worst of the worst. And uh, if this plant is blown up, uh, believe me, uh, there's going to be a lot of room for finger pointing going on mm. here. Uh, the, uh, the, the potential uh, for uh, disaster, uh, the potential for nuclear contamination and so on is immense. So uh, which side is telling the truth here? Uh, you know, which bandit do you want to support? we got to kind of flip a coin. But uh, things are definitely heating up in that particular area. Mm. So I would definitely keep a uh, weather eye on what's going on in Ukraine because if, uh, again, the uh, Zaporizhia uh, nuclear power plant goes up, uh, the conflict in the Ukraine is going to uh, just explode exponentially as well. So uh, definitely need to be pre praying for peace in that area. And uh, the uh, peace of Jerusalem, obviously, uh, not directly related to what's going on uh, in this conflict in the Ukraine, although Israel uh, is uh, seemingly being uh, pulled into uh, this conflict. Uh, the fact that they have maintained a, a state of uh, separation from being directly involved, aside from sending... Uh, some supplies and uh, munitions to uh, the Ukrainian side of things. Uh, I, I'm not sure how much longer a guy like Benjamin Netanyahu can uh, 
uh, walk on that tightrope. But if uh, something like the Zaporizhia uh, nuclear plant uh, is sabotaged, is blown up, in a sense, uh, I think uh, we're going to see uh, just a tremendous response on both sides. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, it would really be hard to uh, get that genie back in the bottle as far as war is concerned wow. on a regional or even a global level if something like that happens. Yes. You, um, you mentioned uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars. For someone who's new to like prophecy and maybe even the Bible or new to the show, what, what did you mean by that? Well, Jesus said that one of the birth pains that would accompany his return would be, among other things, wars and rumors of wars. These things were going to happen. Jesus said that the end was not yet. But he said they were the beginning of sorrows. And uh, one of the interesting things about that term sorrows is that it referred to labor pains. Well, if you've ever been in the process of bringing a baby into the world, you know something about labor pains. They increase in frequency and intensity as the big day draws near. And so uh, particularly in uh, events that surround Israel, the events that have a global uh, impact, we definitely need uh, to uh, pay attention to what's going on here. Among the other things that Jesus uh, told us about were famines and plagues, pestilences in, in various places. Uh, I always uh, kind of wondered uh, back uh, when I first began studying prophecy about pestilences and you know various flu epidemics or even the, uh, the discovery of the HIV uh, outbreak uh, were, were seen as fitting into that category. But something that is global in nature like uh, the COVID pandemic and the response to all of that I think is definitely something that Jesus was referring to there. So we're going to see these kind of events increasing in frequency and intensity as the big day draws near, particularly as they affect the nation Israel. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's a very good way of keeping our focus on the fact that Jesus promised he could return at any time without going so chicken little on things that we start setting dates and uh, and so on right. because jesus said no one would know the day or the hour yeah or just sheer panic and yeah. fear and yeah, yeah going yeah. Off, off the deep yeah. end which is easy to do with yeah. all this stuff great yeah well thank you thanks yeah. for sharing that and keeping us up to date on all those things um we have some questions here a couple of people restated their question from yesterday thank you for doing that and sticking with us so we'll get you the, your questions today for sure we had a question um uh, this is a great question uh, are there sources that confirm the events in the Bible other than the Bible itself? Is the Bible the only place it talks about these historic events, or is that uh, backed yeah. up with any other sources? Yeah, it's important when we're discussing history with people, and in particular evidence with people, that we know what those two words mean so that when we are asked, is the Bible history or is it myth? Is the yeah. Bible evidence or is it just a claim? Well, if you can define your terms, then hopefully we can be playing with the same dictionary. As it stated, he who sets the terms wins the debate. So if we're going to talk to people, first of all, understand words mean things. That's first and foremost. Evidence means not something that reduces all doubt into nothing. Mm. Evidence does not mean mm. something that convinces someone the moment that words are said in that particular order. There's always some, you know, ding dong who's going to come up with some other excuse, expresses doubt, and then that will just lengthen the conversation. Mm. Evidence, simply put, is something that would make something else more likely to be true. Yeah. So if you can look at people, places, or things that were also in existence, talked about by others, and could be verified to be real, at least in the time frame 
frame that it's being spoken about, you have more reason to believe we're talking about reality instead of fiction. Historical evidence follows the same principle. So yeah. Napoleon Bonaparte kind of set the trend for how it was supposed to be tested. But as far as archaeology is concerned, that's one way. You go and dig up things that surround the event, and if it matches the technology, that's uh, non-anachronistic information stuff in fancy terms. That just means uh, they aren't talking about, you know, F-22 Raptors uh, combing the beaches at D-Day. Those weren't invented at the time. That would be a historical error. I'd like to see an F-22 Raptor combing a beach, too. Yeah. yeah uh, that would be tough. <laughs> I forgot a constant <laughs> yeah. there, sue yeah. me. But the point being made <laughs> is that. over a beach. But the, the point being made is that things that fit the time frame, if they talk about, you know, bronze weaponry when they were still in the Iron Age, if they talk about guns when they were still bow and arrows, those sort of details, if they talk about historical figures that weren't born yet and in the w a way that would make it so that they were living at that time, those would be anachronisms, things that aren't fitting the facts. Yeah. If they get the names right, the dates right, the places right, they even refer to those places the way they would have been at that time period, those are the things that we look for. This is set in reality. This is set in history. Mm. Secondly, there's the law of embarrassment, uh, things that you have to admit to, things that don't make you look good but have to acknowledge, uh, things that are hostile, people who don't like you at least admitting to your existence or acknowledging the things that you did. You don't uh, get the person who hates you to join in on your lie. If you were lying or if you never existed, your enemies would be the first to point that out. These are the sort of things we look for in history, real people, real places, real things at the right time, at the right place, and doing the right things with the right stuff. Right. So. When the Bible describes events, we're looking for more information rather than less to verify it. And note, if you say, oh, you're questioning the Bible, no, I'm testing the Bible. And there is a difference. If I can come to a conclusion that this is more worth trusting, that's the basis of our relationship with God, trust with reason. In the opening chapter of the book of Isaiah notes God's invitation for Israel to test him, to reason together, right. and that his offer for them is for their redemption, not for their departure from him. So the, that point then being made, what are some of the evidences we could look at internally and externally? And since this person doesn't want internal evidence for the Bible, let's stick to the external evidence. Mm -hmm. What sources outside of the Bible are there? Even then I have to challenge that, because when people say the Bible is just a book, this is one source, give me another. Actually, the Bible is 66 individual sources, and That's based true. on this collection of documents that were right. all written independently from one another by 40 different authors over 1,500 years of human history across yep. three continents in four languages, two of which aren't even spoken today, hmm. we have a collection of books that are meant to independently attest and verify one another. Yeah. That's a really good point, Sean. That's yes. a really good point. Yeah. So when people come to you and say, well, that's just what your Bible says. Give me yeah. some evidence. What reason do I have to back that up? Well, when you put out First Kings, for instance, as a verification of the events in, for example, all of the events and shenanigans going on during the ministry of Elijah, and want to test that with, say, the prophecies of Joel, that is two different sources, a reference to a reference. Uh, I was going over the book of Jonah this morning, and there was a reference to him in the book of 1 Kings as well, uh, 1 Kings 25, I think it was, where it notes when he was serving during the reign of Jeroboam II. Now, that's a historical source that references him and his father's name. Right. Then to the book of Jonah and his prophecies,
Pharisees at the same time mentioning when he was serving and mm. through whom he entered this world. But the point being made is just that. You can use other books of the Bible to verify itself. If I says, well, Genesis proves that it's true history because the next chapter in Genesis also affirms that Abraham was in that city. Well, that would be silly for me to quote the book to prove the book. That's just two claims on top of one another. But if I quote the book and then I reference Moses during the time of the Exodus and clarify he didn't get this from people all the way in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> he did not yeah. travel further north than Canaan. So the point yeah. being made is that. If on the other hand, people were to say, well, okay, other than the collection of sources that you like, what about some things that are more broadly accepted, even among skeptical circles? Now, unreasonable as that may be, because that's not how you do history, here's a list of sources I'll allow, and if your sources agree with you, or at least disagree with me, that doesn't count because they come to a conclusion I don't like. That's not how truth works. Right, but or history. The, yeah. But we can play that game because when it comes down to it, God did not leave us to guesswork as far as ancient history. The Bible, and I'm talking about Old and New Testament, are some of the most well-attested historical documents in, in ancient history. And ancient history meaning anything longer ago than a thousand years. And since the majority of these events are pumping two to 4,000 years ago, we can't expect a lot, but we want to make sure that the people, places, and things all line up. So what can we verify? Well, we want to test what we have, not what we don't have. So let's ask the question, are there any other cultures, are there any other documents, are there any other collections and writings that would affirm, say for instance, how Genesis reports a global flood? We can talk about the archaeology and sedimentary rock. People try to explain that away. Let's just go to writing with writing. Well, you can go to the Akkadian scripts, the uh, Atrahasis tablets that report a global flood, and the Gilgamesh epic several hundred years earlier on the clear other side of the Middle East reporting those same cultures. You have the same writings in Chinese and in Aztec mythologies and in historical tablets as well. But maybe that's a little bit too far. What about something more contemporary? Well, 4,000 years isn't exactly contemporary, but if we ask the question, is there any evidence that the Jews were even in Egypt before the time of the Exodus? Well, if you go to the archaeological sites in the city of Avaris, it was formerly known as Ramesses, but you dig a bit below it and you realize there was another city below that, it's a long time ago, we found the estate of Joseph and his 12 brothers, the 12 patriarchs of Israel. And what's interesting about that is that, just like the accounts in Joshua confirm, they took Joseph's bones from his ossuary and brought it to be buried with his forefathers. Right. So the bones don't lie. But then let's get into a little bit more, uh, I guess, specific as far as things are concerned. Real places, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, no evidence that they ever existed. All these made-up names like Zebuin and Zoar. Well, if you go to Jordan in the Ebla region, there was a discovery, a library of clay tablets. Syria, actually. Uh, Syria, yeah. excuse yeah. me. But very sophisticated writings in cuneiform on clay tablets that were essentially trade receipts. And guess which cities are mentioned by name that had trade with the people who were running this library? Zebuin, Zoar, Sodom, and Gomorrah. 
verification outside of the Bible in writing that you can touch and read today. There's also interesting uh, confirmation about the plagues of Egypt. People say, well, that was just mythological. Maybe the uh, weird Christian Bale movie had it right. It was just a terrorist campaign and they supernaturalized it. No, the Lamentations of the Shepherd have the Egyptians reporting the same thing the Exodus reports about the Nile turning to blood and that if you drink it, you lose your humanity, that the slaves are walking around decked in gold while the kings are scratching themselves in fury and like paupers. There's the lice that were attacking them despite having no hair and all of these plagues being directly attributed to the gods just like the Exodus account reports right. in chapters 5 through 12. We can note other sources that go to this time period as well, like the references, a letter, by the way, between the Pharaoh and the kings of Canaan, where he mentions the Haberu, these basically a band of brigands, they called them, that were attacking people from the mountains, but not necessarily settling in all of the major cities and open plains. That is a our oldest non-biblical reference to the Hebrews, and set at the time of Joshua, right. <laughs> 1300s. Uh, what's interesting as well, we could note the, I guess, events of the kings. We can go to Israel's greatest king, that of King David, where we have a tell, uh, this basic mound that they uncovered, and there was a victory monument dedicated by the Syrian Empire. This would have been around the, uh, oh, eight, eight, nine hundreds B.C., so referencing that, but it mentions on one of their victory lists, basically the bragging rights and stuff, a conquest of that region over the family of, guess who? David. King David, yep. So a mention by name of a figure who wasn't supposed to exist, acknowledged by his enemies outside of the Bible. We at least have someone, something, attesting to someone in history. We could note the Babylonian Chronicle and the Annals of the Medo-Persians detailing the destruction of Jerusalem, which we can also verify based on the ash layer that's visible in Jerusalem today. We could note the fall of Babylon itself, exactly as Isaiah prophesied that it would, bragged about by Cyrus the Great and his historians. We can talk about the pottery shards that were uncovered in Gath that mentioned Goliath by name, the seal that was uncovered in Jerusalem bearing the name of Jeremiah's scribe, around the same time that Israel would have been destroyed, putting people at the right places at the right time, doing the wrong or the right things. So if we're going to just take all this information, and I know you've probably got that all rambling around in your head, I can't pronounce or spell most of that, me either, but when you are put in a corner saying there's no reference, absolutely none, there's a reason why politicians, by the way, are encouraged by their speakers and handlers not to say absolutes like that, no evidence whatsoever outside of your Bible that there's any proof this is any grounding in history. Well, I just mentioned the Old Testament. We just went through, what, 12? Yeah. And none of these are really significant details as far as things are concerned. But the existence of these kings, the existence of these nations, the existence of these battles, the acknowledgement of hostile and contemporary sources, and meeting every single standard of history going right down to archaeology. But if that isn't enough for you, note, well, that's your Old Testament. We need something that's actually substantive. Doesn't the entire Christian faith stand or fall on the resurrection of Jesus? If the Old Testament had nothing going for it but the affirmation of Jesus, that would be enough for us as Christians because he rose from the dead. Big claims, big, uh, big evidence required, right? Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Well, let's say, just for example, that the Old Testament at least matches 
the level of reliability, archaeology-wise, ancient history, 2,000 years, the most recent testament, if you will? Do we have any evidence for the New Testament and reports that people who weren't Christians were at least acknowledging the basic people, places, and things going on in the New Testament as well? Well, even uh, when it comes to uh, archaeology, uh, you know, when uh, we go on our uh, tours of Israel, one of the things that uh, we love to show people is a place in the ancient site of Caesarea uh, where uh, there was a uh, public works project that was going on. They were going to build a parking lot, and they dug things mm-hmm. up, and they found this ancient Roman patio down there, and they noticed that there was a dedication uh, 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 stone involved with this. Well, when the archaeologists uh, looked at the uh, writing the, desic- the uh, dedication stone, they found mentioned the name of Pontius Pilate. In mm-hmm. other words, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor that gave the go-ahead for the building of this project. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty extraordinary because prior to this, in 1962, uh, archaeologists and uh, skeptical biblical scholars would say that Pontius Pilate was a figment of the imagination. Uh, there was no archaeological uh, evidence that he ever existed. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it, literally written in stone. Uh, you know, the, the, beyond that, you know, we could talk about a number of, uh, of historians from around the time of Jesus that mention uh, Jesus and mention other people that we find in the New Testament as bona fide historical figures. Uh, Flavius Josephus, the Jewish historian, mentions John the Baptist, and uh, he also mentions Herod uh, in uh, his, his writings. Uh, we also have a comment of his where he mentions Jesus uh, in a very specific way. In Antiquities, book 18, chapter 3 and paragraph 3, he says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such man as received the truth with pleasure. He drew, drew over to him many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those who loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold these and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct at this day. Now, there's a debate about this particular part of Josephus uh, because it is uh, so dead set on target as far as describing Jesus, even his death and his resurrection. Uh, if you want to explore uh, the, the criticism of this particular passage and how it really stands up under examination, highly recommend you check out an article at uh, the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry website, that's carm.org, uh, and uh, they uh, have a, uh, an entire article about the reliability of uh, this part of antiquities. Uh, it may have had a couple of interpolations involved with it, but the vast majority of it is very, very solid well, manuscript-wise. All we're looking for is a mention of Jesus, and Josephus himself was not a Christian. Right. And that's what the individual is asking us. We have a source outside of Christianity affirming not only the main character, but characters, figures that were significant to the execution of Jesus, who were ruling in Judea at the time of his execution, and setting it at the right place in the right time. But he's not alone, is he? Yeah, well, uh, you know, one of the the really interesting uh, uh, statements that we find uh, within uh, the scripture is uh, a uh, very interesting part of uh, Josephus' description, uh, not just the idea of uh, calling Jesus the Christ, 
But Josephus goes on and describes in some pretty significant detail uh, an event that we're going to be talking about at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson this, uh, this weekend, uh, a uh, situation where uh, Herod, the nephew of Herod the Great, uh, made a speech and uh, presented himself in such a way that the uh, people who were desperately trying to kiss up to him said the voice of a god and not of a man. Uh, you know, he uh, apparently uh, took that to heart and was struck down at that moment and died within five days of uh, being eaten alive from the inside out by worms. So, uh, you know, when we, uh, we talk about uh, these kind of events, it's fascinating to me that uh, we find uh, within the historical record uh, not only uh, a parallel account of this in Josephus, but Josephus goes even into more detail about this and the fact that uh, apparently uh, Herod came out wearing this uh, silver sort of plated suit and it was early in the morning and the reflection off of it looked uh, supernatural to the people that were there and that's why they were inspired to say what they were saying. But Josephus never contradicts the fact that uh, Herod gave this speech, that he gave it at Caesarea, and that uh, the result of this speech was before he could even leave the lectern, he was struck down with an incredibly painful abdominal condition, which Josephus went on to confirm was uh, being eaten alive from the inside by worms. So, uh, you know, you've got a completely non-biblical source telling us things that we find within the book of Acts uh, that, uh, that pass muster. Now, Josephus offers some more details about all of this. Dr. Luke's description of it is, uh, is brief because it's really not his purpose at this point uh, to do a uh, in-depth discussion of, of, you know, the trials and tribulations of Herod. But uh, the, the fact is we find these kind of historical confirmations. Uh, we also find uh, not just from Josephus, but other people that we run into like Tacitus in his annals, he said this, consequently to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, for whom the, the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out not only in Judea, the first source of this evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and become popular. This was a guy that was, uh, you know, and again, Sean, when we deal with history, and we deal with an antagonistic view of a particular uh, event in history, not one that is positive. You know, you could say, well, Josephus seems to really be uh, saying that Jesus was all that. Well, you know, again, here we see uh, Tacitus essentially bagging on Christians as much as he could by describing the fact that the whole thing got going with the death, the most exquisite form of death, of their founder, a fellow by the name of Christus, according to uh, uh, Tacitus. The animals, animals. yeah. Uh, you know, again, we could uh, talk uh, quite a bit about Pliny the Younger, uh, who was not a historian, but he was a Roman procurator. He was an expert in Jewish law, writing to the Emperor Trajan about what to do about these Christians. Uh, they weren't worshiping Roman gods. 
Uh, they were accused of things like atheism because they didn't believe in the pagan gods. They were accused of cannibalism because they talked about eating the body and blood of their, their uh, leader. Uh, they were accused of incest because they called each other brothers and sisters and actually married people they called brothers and sisters with one another. Which, uh, this is just an aside, but that's why in modern-day marriage ceremonies you have a best man and woman as witnesses to sign off on the marriage because so many marriages were being performed in secret, the Roman Empire wouldn't recognize marriages between Christians. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, one of the things that he wrote to Trajan, uh, and this was around 112 AD, they, the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a god and bound themselves by a solemn oath, not to any wicked deeds, but to never commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called upon to deliver it up. After which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble it to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. In other words, the Lord's Supper was uh, being portrayed here. And uh, essentially, uh, what, uh, he was, uh, what Pliny the Younger was writing back to Trajan was, how do I handle these people? Um, you know, I've already executed some of them when I gave them the opportunity to repent and worship Roman gods, and I found them so stubborn that they were a threat to society, so I decided to get rid of them. But what is our official position on this? How are we going to deal with them going forward? Now, the, the, this is not uh, the picture of someone that kind of had an ax to grind, or certainly somebody that had a positive view of Christians. It's a bureaucrat attempting to solve a problem, describing, among other things, that they worshiped their leader, Jesus, as a god. Which is important because it verifies the claims of early Christians going almost decades within the finishing chapters of the book of Acts, and noting that the same message was being taught beyond the Bible that is claimed within the Bible. This wasn't made up later. Right. So, you know, when uh, we take a look at these things, you know, the, the question comes up, well, you know, that's, that's, that's just your Bible. Well, I, I, you know, I kind of wince a little bit when people say that, uh, because when we take a look, for instance, at the book of Acts and the book of Luke, uh, we come face to face uh, with uh, what we would call uh, the strange case of Sir William Ramsey. Uh, Sir William Ramsey is known even to this day as probably being one of the most outstanding scholars about the history of the Roman Empire, uh, Oxford University in, uh, in England. And uh, one of his uh, fellow Oxford dons uh, challenged him, saying, well, have you ever uh, evaluated, say, the New Testament for its value in your studies on what happened in ancient Rome? And uh, again, uh, Sir William Ramsey said, oh, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with it. just religious stuff. And, and, and the fellow said, okay, I'll tell you what, I will evaluate the book of Luke. You evaluate the book of Acts from mm -hmm. the point of view of being a historian. Well, the, the fascinating thing is when you take a look at the book of Acts, uh, you don't find a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you find description of places, you find the descriptions of politicians, you find descriptions of uh, manners of travel, you find descriptions of commerce, you find descriptions of uh, political uh, procedures that were in place at that particular time. You find one Roman leader after another being described, even their family relations, uh, down to the crossing of the T's and the dining line. Bottom line is Sir William Ramsey came to the end of reading the book of Acts, not the book of Luke, and not only came to the conclusion, this is his quote, Luke is a historian of the first rank, uh, 
Mm. But he actually became a Christian as a result. Mm. So when someone says that there's something wrong with the Bible, well, you know, once again, you can take a look at what the experts have to say about that. And that should give you pause. But it's never going to be enough for a person that says, for instance, and, and this seems to be gaining some traction again, even though it's absolutely laughed out of academic circles, that Jesus never existed. There's no proof for existence. What would we say to that? Well, how do you prove anyone exists ever? <laughs> if your standards for history are, I don't like the source, that's not a historical claim. That's an emotional assertion. If you're going to say, okay, how do we know Jesus existed? We should apply the standards consistently like we would any other historical figure. Do real people in real places at real times not only see him, but interacted with him? Do we have sources that we're close to or maybe best case scenario, especially over a thousand years ago, that's an if, living during the time, or knew the people living during the time, that can reference those sources, and that we can back that up with other information that isn't conflicting with what we can know, not with what we speculate. Well, as far as the life of Jesus, we have not one but four biographies on his life. If you account the book of Acts in addition, but Luke and uh, Acts were written in tandem and split up into two, because it's a lot of writing. If we look at the biographies, we have individuals, actual historical figures named, like Pontius Pilate, like Herod the Great, and his nephews, and the funny business involving that family there. We have John the Baptist, who's also affirmed by non-Christian Jewish sources like Josephus. We have people who not only interacted with this man, but admitted to things that would have been an embarrassment to him at the time and within the culture that he was speaking in. Meeting alone with a woman on not one, but three separate occasions in John 4, John 8, and of course in the incident regarding the perfume, which could have been seen as a sexual advance. We have interesting, multiple, and hostile sources all reporting the events regarding his life. We have the acknowledgement of criticisms like Talmud Sanhedrin, where it notes that Jesus' disciples stole the body while the guards were asleep, and Matthew addressing that debunking or that uh, dismissal during the time that it was being circulated as an explanation for an actual historical claim. But the most important one, and this is where we get into our heroes acrostic, is the fact that to this day, all of human history hinges on the fact that Jesus' body is still missing. His enemies could have stamped out this cult in an instant if they were the ones that stole the body. They were in a time and during a festival where they had no place or opportunity or means or motive, by the way, to hide the body since all of them unanimously abandoned him at the time of his arrest, let alone his execution. And if they came in contact with a dead body, Jewish culture would have been invalidating them from ever attending worship during that very important time and festival. Right. You have to assume so much that you end up creating a bigger miracle in the disciples' conspiracy than just acknowledging the resurrection itself. We have sources of people who abandoned him. We have sources of people who supported him but could couldn't do anything for him, the Apostle Peter and John. But the two most important for the resurrection of Jesus and the claims regarding his life, death, and resurrection being worth considering to anybody are two people, two names, James ben Yosef and Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul. Why? Because both of these men denied that this guy was who he claimed to be until they saw him in person after his public execution by Roman crucifixion, and a full one at that. When it comes to the historical question, 
there's only one answer that explains all the facts. There's only one where we have not one but four documented primary sources that would attest to this actually being the case as far as what Jesus said about himself and how he proved it. And if that is all true, like wise men, Simon Greenleaf and Sir William Ramsey, to name two, both came to, this is the opportunity that we all have to share with one another, not only for the encouragement in our hope, but giving a reason for the hope that is within us. There was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who not only affirmed the Old Testament as history, but said, I was the one that was guiding this through and through from the beginning, that the people who saw him alive credited him as the angel of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the memra, literally, and according to the Aramaic Targums, which, by the way, Old Testament, if you want more information on that. We can talk about the existence and copies of the Old and New Testament in their entirety, the Old Testament with the exception of the book of Esther, within centuries of the information that we need, not just before Jesus as far as the Dead Sea Scrolls are concerned, so we know that Christians didn't alter the Old Testament prophecies, but a complete copy of the New Testament within two centuries of its completion in Sinaiticus and Vaticanus unheard of as far as any other historical figure. And if we apply the evidence consistently, we have more reason to believe that than anything else. Than the fact that I had, you know, uh, apple cider vinegar and pink Himalayan salt tea for breakfast this morning. When it comes down to it, though, it's not a question of objectivity. It's a question of the will. And like we're going to deal with in some questions that have been sent along to us, this is what it ultimately comes down to, because the person asking this wasn't exactly objective. But the point being made is for your benefit, not just for our chagrin. We both win in this case. It's a matter of not just the facts in the table, but their relevance to you. If there is a God and he's shown how much he cares about you, here's the evidence, but what do you do with it? Because evidence no more compels a conclusion than my words direct your thoughts. It might guide them, might inform them, you can check up on them, but this is ultimately something between you and the Holy Spirit, and that's something that gives us all the liberty to deal with. Mm, that's right. Well, thank you for that question, and thank you for that, that answer. There's a lot to chew on there, for sure. Um, at least we've got several questions here, at least a couple that I promised we'd get to yeah. as they rejoined us today. So a crystal, crystallized coyote, <laughs> maybe my favorite name. Far out, man. I might uh, take it on myself, yeah. How does someone, that's a great question, how does someone study the Bible, and is it necessary to get closer to God? Yes. Well, uh, how do you study the Bible? Yeah. Uh, essentially, you study it like any other book you would, uh, you would begin to read. You first, you know, if you don't have any familiarity with it, uh, remember that uh, there are all kinds of wonderful aids and, uh, and uh, insightful mm. uh, material. I guess I would say if I were going to get started on the process, for me, uh, when I first got saved, I just... Uh, got a readable translation of the Bible and started reading the Gospel of John. Mm. It was the biography of Jesus, and I wanted to know about Jesus. Yeah. And I was so psyched about reading about Jesus, I went straight on into the book of Acts. Well, if you have that foundation of understanding what Jesus' teaching is from, uh, say, John and Acts, well, then you can go back to the other Gospel accounts, the, the biographies. Then you can go to the epistles, the, the letters, if you will, uh, that uh, will deal with different issues that were going on within the church. But I think one of the best ways to make sure you don't get lost in the weeds uh, that we really have a lot of these days who didn't have it back in my day 
uh, is to get a hold of a really good study Bible uh, that uh, is really kind of in the ballpark as far as uh, your, your level of background, your level of experience on the scripture concern. Probably the best one I think to launch into it would be the Word for Today study Bible with uh, margin notes that are done by Pastor Chuck Smith. It can keep you on track, will clarify some things, give you some insight in the original language without going super, super deep. If uh, you're ready to go a little deeper than that, uh, I really recommend uh, the Thomas Nelson New King James Study Bible. Mm. Uh, Dr. Earl Rodmacher was the, uh, uh, the managing editor of all of this. Really uh, solid. Uh, they'll give you all kinds of different takes on maybe some of the more controversial passages. You can kind of make up your mind. Uh, but uh, really, uh, you know, if you read a passage and you're like, wow, you know, I, I, I'm not really sure I understand that, you can go to the footnote and get some clarity. Obviously, if you're in a church that is teaching through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book, uh, then that's also uh, a real help to you. And you can go online, say, for instance, at thewordfortoday.org uh, and uh, download uh, onto uh, whatever device that you have. Uh, Pastor Chuck's through the Bible studies. He does it in a very, uh, uh, I, I, I would say, a very uh, uh, a, a efficient sort of a way uh doesn't uh, get bogged down uh you can go through uh, a lot of books of the bible and just take them along with you and the more you get exposed to that and you know the comments that he makes on the word there uh the more you're gonna have a good foundation yeah. so that would be my recommendation yeah very good yeah. and is it necessary for us to get closer to god or was that the answer you said yes <laughs> of course yeah. well <laughs> well romans chapter 10 uh in verse 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Yeah. Uh, Peter said his uh, dearly loved uh, children long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Mm. Uh, that is how we grow in God's word. Mm. We are literally born again, not of incorruptible, uh, of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, the living uh, word of God, we are told in the book of James. Uh, and so, you know, the word of God is the avenue that the Holy Spirit uses within our lives to make us everything that God wants us to be. Yeah. So yeah, so yes. absolutely essential. Yeah. yeah, You want a relationship with someone, but you purposefully cut yourself off from the one means of communication, information, and intimacy you have with them. No, that's not how that works. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would just go back to, uh, you know, what uh, what Job said, I've desired your word more than my necessary, necessary food. food. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus talked about his word being the bread of life. Uh, and so my two cents worth is, I mean, compare it to taking in physical food. If mm -hmm. you didn't take in physical food, you're gonna be a pretty poor specimen before too long. Yeah. You need to take in the uh, the Word of God, that, yeah. that bread of life. Yeah, great, great. Well, Crystallized Coyote, thank you for that question and for hanging in there with it the last couple of days. Uh, Robert as well, you restated your question. Thanks for doing that. Robert asked, uh, hello, my dear brothers in Christ. My question is on Matthew 28, 19. Uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so I went to a Bible study and was told that if I'm not making disciples, then I'm not really saved. What does it mean to make disciples? What is the process of making disciples? And does it affect your salvation if you're not making disciples? Thank well, you. let's take the big question first. Um, if you're not making disciples, you're not really saved. Well, that really is a major spiritual blunder on whoever was teaching this particular study mm -hmm. because what it's saying is is that i am saved 
by something I do for God rather than what Jesus did for me. Right. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the, uh, the uh, gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, not by good works, but for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, it's not by good works that we are saved. It is for good works that we're saved. And yeah. making disciples, uh, passing the baton of faith on to somebody else, uh, leading someone to a saving relationship with Christ and getting them uh, growed up, if you will, spiritually. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, a real privilege. But it's a get-to, not a got-to. Anything you'd add to that? And again, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly what was said or how. I know there's legalists that will basically just beat you with this stick instead of a carrot and say that if you, unless you do everything, then your salvation's at stake. I've also had conversations with even more people who are so insecure and timid that they'll take any sort of negative note in a conversation as, always oh, said that I'm not saved if I don't do this, when they were just... Right doing genuine exhortation, which is a part of legitimate Bible study. Uh, I, I told someone, I don't necessarily like this uh, anime series. And then they said, oh, so you're saying I'm not saved if I like that anime series. I'm like, you got problems. So the point being made is that. Just be careful being sensitive to those things. But when it comes to discipleship, again, it just means a follower. You're going where they went. <laughs> yeah. And if you are informing people about the sort of things that he said and did according to his word, that's discipleship. You're building people up in their relationship with God. When people say, oh, you're not saving people. We don't save people. The Holy Spirit's the only one who leads people to salvation. But we should be living the sort of lives where we get caught acting like him and maybe drag a few up with us in the process. Yeah. But understand that. Evangelism, ministry, discipleship, it's a lot more of a natural process of you just being a decent human being, yeah. being a Christian, than it sounds. It's not doesn't require degrees. It doesn't require, you know, all these courses and seminars and stuff. Be the kind of person that could be mistaken for Jesus, and you're not going that far wrong. Do it in such a way where it impacts more than just you and your ego, and even better. Yeah, my, my favorite verse as far as understanding the mechanics of making disciples, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul mm -hmm. says to Timothy there, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, in other words, we've got to be strong in grace to begin with. And the things which you've heard in my in the presence of for me in the presence of many witnesses these commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also you know in other words we're not just to be spiritual sponges if we go to a bible study and god speaks something to our hearts and it's really applicable to our lives well you share that with somebody else boom guess what you're part of discipleship yeah. uh, you know i mean we can be more formal about it and say it's leading someone to christ giving them the basics of what the Christian faith is all about, giving them some tools to help get them growing with the idea that they in turn are going to share the same things with other people. Mm, That's good. what discipleship is. Very good. Yeah. We barely have time for one more question. If you guys are mindful of the time and quick, a uh, question from Child of God. When we come to Christ, he begins the process of changing us. What if others comment that we haven't changed? What if uh, we still struggle with the same things? Should there be an obvious and quantifiable change in us? And again, we've only got a couple of minutes, so. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that there, there should be, but how do you measure that? I think of C.S. Lewis's great line uh, about, uh, why should I believe in Jesus? The biggest cranks I know are Christians. Mm -hmm. And he said, you gotta be careful with that because you don't know how much bigger a crank someone would be <laughs> if uh, they hadn't come to know the Lord. That's true. Um, you know, having Jesus in our heart, he's going to begin to do a change 
within us. If something, if someone is dwelling within you like Jesus is, his, the power of his spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us, mm-hmm. then sooner or later things are going to change. So what can we do to help facilitate that change? Well, I guess don't let the opinions of unreasonable people set the agenda for your Christian life, your metric for spiritual growth, but I think the best way to do it is just to understand what sort of things we need to focus on. Uh, I think Second Peter chapter 1 gave the greatest summary as far as the, I guess, compass heading of spiritual growth is concerned. If you make these basically your uh, New Year's resolution priority and saying, how can God help me to do these things every single day? It says in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Second Peter, but for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, your reasons for trust, virtue, understanding what's right and wrong, to virtue, knowledge, noting not just what is right and wrong, but why those things are right and wrong, to knowledge, self-control, not just knowing the right or wrong thing, but doing the right and not doing the wrong thing. Uh, to self-control perseverance, keeping at it, not just saying, oh, okay, I did my good deed for the day. To perseverance, godliness, doing these things in such a way where it becomes a lifestyle. To godliness, brotherly kindness, not just impacting your life, but the lives of others in the way that you model God. And to brotherly kindness, love. And that note, love is God's kind of love, the 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 kind of love. Then it notes these of this in verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful. That's what you're looking for in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Make that your compass heading, you'll be fine. Yeah. Very Great. nice. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to call it. I believe we're out of time today. I'm not going to throw you another question with only a minute left. <laughs> Any other final comments from you guys? Any other points you'd like to make at all? Well, you know, we've talked a little bit uh, in a lot of different ways about uh, discipleship today. We've talked about the, the foundation for our faith. You know, one of the things that I was taught in seminary that really resonated with me is that Christian maturity takes time and it takes perseverance, but it shouldn't take forever. Mm. And, and so we should desire to live lives that please Jesus. If you love Jesus, you're going to want to change. Just like a bachelor's habits will change once they've been married because you love the person you're married to uh, and you want to please them and not just yourself. Same thing happens in a relationship with God. I like it. So Very if it's good. a love relationship, we're going to change. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Great. Keep at it. Yeah. Sean, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you for your questions. Great questions today. We'll be back tomorrow. Same places, same time, same faces got that in the wrong order but it's true we'll see you again tomorrow thanks a lot god bless you guys have a wonderful evening you've been listening to a reason for hope thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through god's word one question of the heart at a time until we meet again we would love to connect with you you can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com you can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com and be sure to join us next time on a reason for hope A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.